Welcome in, everybody. It is time to get in the cage. It's what we do. It's brought to you by the Emerald Queen Casino. It's always a pleasure to speak to this man. He joins us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline, former middleweight contender in the UFC, and now just an all-around good dude. He is with us talking about Nate <laughs> Rock Quarry is here. Nate, how are you, man? I'm good. Thank you for the props there. I appreciate that. I, I speak the truth, my friend. I just speak the truth there. <laughs> hey, we, we had some awesome fights last weekend and and I, I before we get into details of what took place and all that i'm just curious as a guy you were kind of a blood and guts fighter at times we've talked about you getting your orbital bone caved in and you know all the all the things you've gone through in the cage when you watch it happening now you're the spectator you're out here with us and you see guys who are just you're you're watching like the rocky movie right like come on these guys can't take these punches somebody's going to go down did, did you, you long to get back in there? Is that er, that that feeling of man, I'd love to be back in there, or or is it more of what was I thinking? This is nuts. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a little bit of both, I tell you, because you see this and your blood starts pumping, and you think about those moments. And to me, fighting was it's the most personal thing you can do, and you do it in front of potentially millions and millions of people, but it's also the most lonely thing you can do. Because who you are as a man or as a woman, as a competitor, is on display for everyone that watches. I still remember a UFC fight way, way back. Uh, Big Daddy Goodrich fighting somebody, and Big Daddy hit him once. And the guy turned, ran away, ran to the other side of the cage, tapping on his leg. (laughs) And this was probably 15, uh, it could be close to 20 years ago now. And I still remember that. And it, it, it's such a display of who you are. And, and that's why I started fighting in the first place. I wanted to know, am I the type of guy that if you hit me, I'm going to tuck tail and run to the other side of the cage, tapping on my leg as I go, or will I fight till I have nothing left? And I think that's something that we as a culture, we as a, a species, we've lost and we need it. That's why you get so many people that are, are unlikable, that are unpleasant. When you go to the bar and the guy stands up and says, i got to prove to everybody how tough I am. Oh, I don't need to. Can I sit this one out? Because yeah. I've already displayed it many, many times on pay-per-view. Uh, you've seen me knock people out. You've seen me get brutally knocked out. I really don't have anything to prove. It's, it's something that I recommend everybody should have one fight. It just kind of lets you know where you stand in, in the world. Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. And seeing these guys fight... I love technical bouts as much as the next guy, but what we saw over and over again was technical fighting with this blood and guts attitude. Max Holloway, man, I, they say all men are created equal. I don't know about that. <laughs> I, man, you, you could have given Dustin a baseball bat, and I think Max would have been like, hey, all right, bro, is, is that where we're at now? All right, go ahead. Hit me Wave him cool. on. Yeah. He he's he is a, a remarkable and he he took a beating in that fight and he and he handed out some punishment but what what stood out to me Nate and you know the Joe Rogan and the, and the crew were on it is just how much bigger Dustin Poirier looked I mean he just looked so much bigger and stronger and his punches clearly more impactful uh, than what Max was able to dish out is that it, do you watch that fight and go you know what Max is better served to drop back down in weight this is probably not his division or do you feel like Poirier is just a bigger guy. Maybe he's going to outgrow this division as well. Well, I would tell Max to move down if he got completely owned. But there were rounds where Max was coming back and arguably even won. 
Uh, so if, if you wanted to move down a weight class, if you can handle the current, if his frame can handle it, and he knows that himself, his team knows that better than, than I would, better than anybody would, if he could, that might be better served for him. Or maybe put on a little bit more more strength, a little bit more size, maybe learn how to sit down on your punches a little bit more. Because when I saw Max, I was thinking, this man, he's death by a thousand cuts. He reminds me of Nick Diaz with that <clears throat> just rat-a-tat-tat over and over and over again. He, he really doesn't sit down and deliver that one-shot knockout like I always tried to do with everything from a punch, from a jab to an overhand right. But they hit you so many times, it's just cumulative. And you could see Dustin, when, when the tables were turned, it just he was just eating these repetitive shots over and over again. And if Max was able to really sit down and deliver some more power, Dustin could have been in trouble. But I met Dustin... We did an Armed Forces Entertainment tour to Japan. And this was probably seven, eight years ago, before he made it into the UFC or right at the beginning of his UFC. It's funny. He told me he had cornered Tim Crater when I fought Tim Crater. So he knew of me firsthand. And I got to see Dustin in Japan there supporting the troops. He never missed a workout. As, as we were there, you could see that he was using that time because we had some great athletes with us, Tom Lawler, uh, this phenomenal jiu-jitsu black belt, and Dustin was just a sponge, just sucking it up. And we even we had another 145-er that came with us. Dustin towered over him. He was huge compared to the 45-er that we brought, and you could really see the, dis- the difference in Dustin's mindset, his his full-on attitude, his ability to be humble and accept new information and really take advantage of what was offered him. And when I saw him, I was like, this kid is going to go far. He's going to do well in this sport. Yeah, he's, I mean, you know, what was great uh, on top of the action in the cage, just seeing how they sort of comported comported themselves out of the cage. I mean, the respect they showed each other, the great words they had for each other. And that's that to me, Nate, and again, you know this better than anybody, is, is the beauty of this sport is you can go in there and try to take the head off of your opponent. I mean, it's life and death in there. And then generally nine and a half times out of ten, you're going to see that that ultimate show of respect at the end of, of a battle where it's nobody can relate to what you two just went through. I, I think that's, you know, I think that w- this weekend proved that, you know, again, some of the fights you were in proved that that's, that's a bond, that's an experience that very few people walking this earth can relate to. And, and is, is that where that respect comes from? at the end of a war like that yeah. where it was life and death? Yeah. that That's very well said. Very, yeah. Well done, sir. Because I, I feel that way very much so. And, and going back to my fight with Tim Crater, we were ranked the third best fight of the year. We got fight of the night, performance for that night. Not 10 minutes after the fight, Tim came into my dressing room to give me a hug, to shake my hand, to tell me what an honor it was to fight. And, uh, it was a, a couple years ago. That fight was now nine years ago. And just a, but a year ago or something, I was watching some show on boxing and how this, some of the boxing greats had had these wars. And I got so emotional watching it. I started just randomly texting and tweeting it at Tim going, man, we shared something. Most people will never know. We pushed each other to the limit. We shared so much. It's, it's, it's this bond that you do create because you've shown you, you, you've given your heart to this person. And I said over and over again, fighting someone like Tim Crater, it would have been easier for me to break his body than it would his heart. And breaking his body was next to impossible. And 
you'll see that over and over again with some fighters. They'll get injured or the fight's not going their way. They kind of lose their way in the fight. They, they lose their heart. And then it's easier to beat them. When you have someone like like a Tim Crater, a Max Holloway, a Dustin Poirier, any of these guys, they're so damn tough. You really have to physically make their body stop functioning to beat them because they put it all on display. And part of the honor, the true honor in being a fighter is <clears throat> I don't want to injure my opponent. I don't want to make it hard for him to continue his career to provide for his family. But the respect I show to him, if I get the opportunity, I'm going to finish him as quickly as I possibly can. And that means if I drop him, I'm on top of you, and I'm hitting you, and I'm doing it until the referee stops it. The mercy I'm showing you is that hopefully the fight will be ended quickly. And one of my big fears was that I'd fight somebody who is just slightly better than me, maybe good enough to take me down, mount me, but not good enough to finish me. And so for 15 minutes, I just get this battering of punches and submission attempts and cuts where it was almost enough for the referee to stop it, but not quite good enough. It's such a weird dichotomy where to show the respect and true love for your, your opponent, you have to bring everything you have and show the respect that you have. You got the very best of what I had to deliver. I got the best of what you had to deliver. And now we can celebrate that display we put on. Yeah, it's it's unlike anything in sports. It really is. We're speaking with Nate Quarry here on seven ten ESPN Seattle. Nate, the the uh, the matchup between Israel Adesanya and Kelvin Gastelum was was much of the same. I mean, just wow, back and forth. And I know Adesanya is the young up and comer. I had a chance to speak to him the week of the fight. He's a guy that uh, he doesn't lack for confidence. Yeah, I'll tell you that because he's a. Yeah, he feels like he's part of the new breed. And you and I have talked about this where I guess it's just part of the job requirement to come out and tell everybody else how much better you are and what you're going to do to them and all of that. And, he, you know, <laughs> he told me about watching his fights afterwards and going, man, I'm the mother bleeping man. And I, I that, that's my takeaway. I look at it and go, man, I'm good. And I'm just like, OK, you know, he's just he's different. But I'm curious your your take on him as, as a fighter based on seeing him for the first time in trouble. I mean, he got rocked. He, he looked like mm-hmm. there, there were moments in that fight where you're like, uh-oh, you know, maybe Gastelum's going to end this. And obviously uh, it was just a, another five-round war. But what what was your takeaway from that fight and of him specifically? Well, there was a, there's been a lot of comparisons of Israel to uh, – uh, shoot, his name just escaped me. Who, you John Jones? They just fought. No, uh, Israel and him just fought. Oh, uh, uh, um Anderson Silva, Silva, Silva. yes. yes we're both sorry. blank in I there. I that name on the tip of my tongue. I, I've been hit thousands of times. Forgive <laughs> me. Uh, yeah, Anderson Silva and Israel, they, he, Israel looks so similar. Their, their fighting style is so similar. But Israel's not quite as polished. But I think that's going to change as time comes along, because watching Anderson Silva in his prime, it was... It was the Matrix. It was ridiculous when when he would just lean back and watch the punch go by and then switch knee into Stefan Bonner's solar plexus. Right in that little spot, that bullseye, it just... <laughs> Stefan told me he thought he, thought he was going to die. It was so horrible. That's what I, I see that kind of greatness in Israel. But he needs a little bit more refinement. I think he's got some, some holes to fill. But once you get those, he's truly going to be a tear. And that said, as the uh, interim champion now, I believe he is, <clears throat> it, it's going to be really interesting to see. And as far as his, his mental state, it's amazing what 
believing in yourself will, will, will do for people. And we all have to, as fighters, we all have to believe in ourselves. People, people called me cocky going into my Rich Franklin fight saying, I have believed in myself too much. I was like, well, what did you expect me to do? Every day look in the mirror and go, wow, church going to get your ass kicked. This is going <laughs> to suck. <laughs> if that was the case, I never would have fought in the first place. You have to believe in yourself. You have to believe that you're going to win. And some people do that a lot louder. And it's always kind of amusing. I, I interviewed a guy for a small show up here in Portland a few months ago, right before his fight. And he was telling me how great he was, just incredible, great jiu-jitsu, great stand-up, great wrestling. And he lost in about 15 seconds of the first round. <laughs> so you have to have that, that positive mental attitude with your skill. But I think the prime example of that <clears throat> is Chael Sonnen. Whenever I bring this up, I always ask people, you know, when did Chael start fighting in the UFC? And they would say, oh, you know, probably eight, nine years ago. I'd say, no, he, he fought in the UFC before I did, before Tough One. He was fighting in the UFC. But nobody remembers him because he'd show up, he'd, he'd weigh in wearing a suit, he'd take his, his pose, and then he'd go back to his hotel room and he'd sleep until fight time. And nobody really thought about him. And then he developed kind of this pro wrestling persona where he hyped himself up to the crowds, and more than anything, he hyped himself up to himself and started really believing in that character that he would become as soon as he stepped into the cage. And that made all the difference in the world. True, he never got that title, but he was the number one contender there for a few times and, and put on some great shows, especially in his prime. There, there's such a, a difference in believing in yourself, and I tell up-and-coming fighters, well, if you've got 100 people telling you you're a loser and you find one person that believes in you, even if that voice is your own, that's the voice you have to listen to because no one else really cares. At the end of the day, it's you. You're the one that's going to have to look at your career, look at your life, look at yourself in the mirror and know where you stand. You have to believe in yourself because if you don't, no one will. Hey, good stuff on that. Last last thing I want to hit you with before I let you go. We and this is not new anymore. I mean, I feel like every week we read about somebody somebody tests dirty, somebody's suspended, and the and the latest is T.J. Dillashaw. Now, what he tested dirty for, little different than what we've seen. Where EPO is something you're not going to be able to blame on a tainted supplement. That's not how that one works. Yeah. That's a very specific sort of uh, uh, cheat, if you will. And, and to his credit, I guess he he hasn't come out and denied it. I guess you, you understanding he couldn't use the supplement thing, but what do you, what do you think of that when you hear that it's EPO because it is a bit different is, is a bit more involved. Uh, do you look at him differently than anybody else that's been popped for, for performance enhancing drugs? Well, my understanding was when I read about this is it's not something that they really test for that often. So it kind of leads you to wonder, huh? how many other guys have been getting away with this over the years. And I think they're even going to go back and test some of his, his earlier fights now that they know that this is something they should be looking for. But it's such a, such a strange time in our nation, even in the sports world. I recently watched the, I guess you'd call it a documentary, Screwball, on the, the steroid story in baseball specifically with Alex Rodriguez and all those guys. And the moral I took away at the end of that documentary was Alex Rodriguez has ballparks named after him. He made about half a billion dollars in his career. He's married to Jennifer Lopez. 
He's not doing any prison time. The worst thing that's going to happen to him is he won't be inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And I think if you went up to anyone, 99.999% of the people and said, here's two pathways in front of you. <clears throat> you can go play college ball. And you'll have a good college career. Uh, you, you'll get scouted by the pros. You'll have one or two decent seasons, and then get cut, move back down to AAA ball, or your career will be over. Or you can take this supplement, steroid, whatever you want to call it, that you know so many of these people, such as Alex Rodriguez, have taken over the years, and you'll be one of the greatest players the world has ever seen. You're going to make more money than you could spend in 10 lifetimes. The women you're going to get, (laughs) unbelievable. Uh, the only thing I'd recommend to you is don't lie under oath in front of Congress. Yeah. <laughs> which which way do you want to go? How many people are going to say, you know, I, I'd stand with my morals while I'm doing my janitorial job into my 50s and 60s. Very few people are going to going to really take that. And I, it's sad because it seems like being an honorable person these days, being a, a person of your word, is closer to a superpower. Because we see all these people that are blatant liars or blatant cheaters over and over and over again being successful. What kind of lesson does this send to our kids? It's, it's a really tough time to try and raise children morally. And when you turn on TV, what are the highest rated shows? The Kardashians, the, the New Jersey idiots. <laughs> stuff where it's Having having honor, being respectful, being just a tough blood and guts fighter. But look at John Jones. Nobody really cares about all the times he's he's tested positive. He's the champ. Mm-hmm. It, it just keeps going on and on until there's there's some legitimate punishment or the fans completely turn on these people to say we're not going to buy a pay per view with this guy because he's a known cheater. That's when things are going to change. But it's. It's really tough to get down on anybody when you say, oh, boy, you got tested positive. And I was looking at Dale Shaw's Twitter. He's like, yeah, I'm just going to use this time to get healed up. I got some surgeries there. I'll be fine. This is what it is. I'm just doing my time. <laughs> he just accepted it. Yeah, this is just part of the road. And it, it was always kind of funny when uh, fighters came from Pride into the UFC, where Pride almost encouraged drug use. And then in the UFC, they do... Some, especially back in the day, they weren't working with USADA, but there was randomized drug tests. You'd see them, the fighters completely deflated. They'd lost 20% of their muscle mass. They looked like old men now until they, they figured out a new cycle where they could beat the UFC again. It's, it's an interesting time to be alive, and it's really tough to tell people, hey, you know, do the right thing even though no one else is so you can sleep better in your one-bedroom apartment there while the guy that cheated is the, the champion. It's, it's tough. I know for myself, I, I was more concerned about my reputation than anything. It's, I want to be able to look at myself in the mirror. I want to be able to, to be proud of my performances. And when you when you look at Dillashaw specifically, this is a guy we talked about at one point as the best pound for pound. He was in that conversation anyway. Do you do you sort of put his whole career in question? Do you put like, like if you're Cody Garbrandt, are you sitting there going, "See, I told you," because Cody mentioned EPO in a press conference prior to their first fight. So, I mean, he he put it out there, and everybody just kind of threw it away as uh, he's just talking trash and whatever. But now you look at it and go, "Wow, he was he was kind of exposing him and." 
does Cody have a legitimate gripe? Do you do, do his opponents have a legitimate gripe, or do you just look at it as everybody knows what they're signing up for, and some guys are clean and some are, some aren't? It's tough to say <clears throat> because yeah, so much of it is well, it's like bodybuilding. They don't do drug testing in the Mr. Olympia, or if they do, it's it's ridiculous. Like, hey, bring in a random urine sample from somebody you know so we can claim that we tested you type of thing. Because <laughs> people want to see somebody who's 350 pounds and 2% body fat. If they were all natural, it would not have been that way. Powerlifting, all these things that are known, drug cultures, it's, it's just a part of making it to the top, unfortunately. And until it really... The, the honorability of a dishonor of doing something like that really permeates our culture. That's, it's not going to change anytime soon as long as we have this win-at-any-cost type of attitude. And again, whether it's cheating in sports or, or lying from the press secretary or the president or any number of politicians, this is kind of the, the attitude that we're putting out there. And I find it always amusing that politicians will want to hold athletes to a higher standard than they will themselves. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's, That's cute. It's just such a strange time to try and be an honorable person and do the right thing simply because it's the right thing. Yeah, that's the rarity, unfortunately, Nate. Now we sound like old men. We sound like <laughs> kids these well, geez, days. I, I, I realized the other day, I was like, wait a minute, I'm DVRing this old house in 60 minutes every Sunday. I have become my father. This is, oh, this is embarrassing. Except, Nate, that some of the people we're referencing here are much older than us. But, uh, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll leave that one there. He is Nate Rock yeah. Quarry, uh, one of my favorites to speak with. You can follow him on Twitter, at Nate Rock Quarry. Do that at your own risk. If you're highly sensitive, <laughs> I, I would advise against it, probably. If you're not sensitive, then he's a great follow on Twitter. Nate. Oh, and I'm... Go ahead. I'm always happy to, to talk with anybody about anything that I post. I try not to do anything that's overly emotional or slanted. I try to just repeat facts, things that have been proven. Uh, it, it, what just kind of kills me about the culture these days is just the hypocrisy that we see. And that's what really riles up my blood. But I have faith that we're going to get back on track. Whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, we can't do better. It's just we need to, to hold ourselves to a higher standard. I couldn't have said it better, my friend. Uh, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for doing this, as always, man, and I look forward to talking to you again real soon. Hey, thank you. Always a pleasure.